Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts, and then Romans. If you do need a Bible, just raise your hand, and uh, we'll make sure that we slip you a Bible uh, this morning, and every Sunday we do this. We want you to read God's Word with us as we go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Last week when we finished First John, which was an incredible study, very practical and, and very direct, John was, and how we are to live as Christians. But uh, when I said that we're going to start the book of Romans, I, I was uh, surprised how many people told me after the service that they'd never done uh, a study through the book of Romans, perhaps through certain chapters and verses, but they'd never gone through the book in its entirety. And God gave us these books to be studied in that way. And that's why we do verse-by-verse verse, uh, teaching here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. It's the best way to know God's Word, to get the whole counsel of God's Word as we study these books. So what my prayer and hope is, and I want to encourage you in this, is that, that you would make a commitment, that you would say that we're starting this incredible book of Romans. And I want to be dedicated, I want to be committed to really going through it and, and to be here to hear the studies, to be listening. I know we'll be going over this book for the next several weeks and months, but to stay caught up with the teaching. And I know that as we do that and you make that commitment, that your heart's going to be revived, your soul's going to be refreshed, your family and this church as well, because this is a powerful, powerful epistle that we are going to be studying and have the privilege to over the next several weeks. So, Father, I do pray that you would just bless this time as we, we open up this book written by Paul 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't just written for the Christians in Rome. It was written for, for us as well. And so, Lord, may we carefully consider these things that we're going to read, even though we're going to be introducing the book today. But, Lord, there's power in the gospel. It is the power to save a man or woman who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, to forgive them and to change their heart, to bring relationship with you, Father. And I pray that that would impact us more than ever before as we go through this book. So, Lord, help us be attentive to the things that you want to show us and you want to teach us. And, Lord, may uh, we be ones that are teachable uh, as uh, the next few minutes that we get introduced to the epistle of Paul to the Christians at Rome. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul the Apostle, the human instrument that would pin this letter to the Christians that are in Rome, of course, there was a saying back then 2,000 years ago that all roads lead to Rome. And the reason was is because Rome was the capital of the known world. It was a large city. And of course, that's where the emperor of Rome would live. And we know that Paul, as he is writing this, inspired by the Spirit, of God, because remember that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that Paul would say that all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. And that word inspired means God breathes. So Paul writing these words down as, as the Holy Spirit moves him to write these words to give us one of the most powerful epistles in the New Testament. Now, way of background uh, of the book of Romans, when you read the book of Acts and 
Paul's missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 19, you see that Paul's on his third missionary journey where he's in the city of Ephesus, and he makes the city of Ephesus his headquarters, if you would, his, his base of operation on that third missionary journey. And he's there, according to Acts chapter 20, for three years. He had told the Ephesian elders that I dressed you for three years. And we know that during that time, that revival breaks out in the city of Ephesus as well as in proconsular Asia. And we know that as we read the chapter, that unusual miracles were happening uh, by the hands of Paul and uh, people were being healed. And also, as people were getting saved, there was a school discipleship that Paul started. And for two years, he's teaching these young men the scriptures. He, he's discipling them. We know again in a reference of Acts chapter 20 that he would say to the Ephesian elders that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So for two years, it is believed Paul discipling those young men and then they would leave Ephesus and they would plant those churches throughout Proconsular Asia. For example, we have that letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. There's no evidence that Paul ever went to the city of Colossae, but he knew the Christians there. He knew the pastor there. He addresses them. Uh, we have in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches that are in Proconsular Asia. And Jesus wrote a letter to them, the church of Smyrna, the church of Thyatira, the, the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea, as well as the church of Ephesus. And Jesus writing a letter to those literal churches that were there in the first century, probably started by those disciples of Paul that came out of the school of uh, Tyrannus, planted by them, and, and were established in the first century. We know that in chapter 19 of Acts, verse 21, that Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul had a desire to go to Rome, uh, not to take in a chariot race or to go sightseeing. He wanted to see the Christians there, and he wanted to preach the gospel because he knew that if he could impact Rome for the gospel, that the implications would be great in the Roman Empire as he would go to the capital of the Roman Empire there declaring the good news. We know that in the first chapter of Romans, what we will see that he writes to them that I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered, that I might have some fruit among you, and I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also. So as he's on his third missionary journey. He's in this city of Ephesus. So much fruit is, uh, is being, uh, you know, produced by Paul giving the gospel. Ministry is happening on that third missionary journey, so much so that it tells us that the city of Ephesus and throughout Asia, we are told, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Many were turning away from their idol worship. They were turning away from their sorceries, their magic, so much so that they would bring their magic books and they would burn them. Because what the Christians were saying is, we believe in Jesus Christ. We are giving up these idols. We are giving up these, these sorceries and, and, and magic uh, practices. And we're burning them. And we're leaving it behind. 
And the city of Ephesus was so turned over to Jesus Christ that there in the city of Ephesus, they had a temple, as many of you know, the Temple Artemis. And it was a magnificent temple, and it was dedicated to the goddess Diana. And people from all over Ephesus and Proconsular Asia would come to that temple all over the Roman Empire, and they would uh, go to worship the goddess Diana at the Temple Artemis. And what they would do is they would buy these little idols. The silversmiths were in Ephesus, and they made a living on making these silver idols of Diana and the city was so impacted proconsular Asia for the gospel that the people stopped buying the idols. Well, the silversmiths were losing their income and what they did is they decided we're going to riot against Paul and that's what they did. The whole city was in an uproar. There was a riot. Paul was driven out of the city of Ephesus. He had to leave and he goes, as he mentioned in Acts chapter 19, that he goes to Greece. He goes to Macedonia, which is northern Greece, to those churches that he had established on his second missionary journey. He goes to Philippi. While he's in the city of Philippi, he writes to the Corinthians, what we have in our Bible, 2 Corinthians. And as he's writing to them, he's also taken a collection there in Greece to take to the Christians that are in Jerusalem. He would travel through Macedonia. He would go through Achaia, which is the southern region of Greece. He would come to Corinth. And remember that Corinth again established on his second missionary journey. Paul had been in Corinth for a year and a half, which was a long time for Paul to be in a city. And as he's there, taking that collection in Greece to take to the saints in Jerusalem who were hurting, those believers in Jerusalem were going through famine. They were going through persecution. And Paul wanted to link the Gentile believers with the Jewish believers to let them know that we're one. And those Gentile believers really care for you who are suffering in Jerusalem. And as he's in Corinth, he takes pen in hand and he writes to the Christians that are in Rome. And Paul, never having been to Rome, didn't establish the church of Rome. We don't know how the church was started in Rome. There's different thoughts and theories, but we do know from Acts chapter 2, verse 10, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, and, and that multitude that had gathered, hearing languages as the Holy Spirit came upon those disciples, those believers. And as they were hearing languages uh, from different nations, we know in verse 10, it tells us there were visitors from Rome. And it could be as 3,000 were saved on that day, that some of them for, were from Rome and they went back to Rome and they established the church in Rome. Paul in his final chapter here is going to greet 26 people that he personally knew in Rome. He, he, he greets them. And we don't know how big the church is or if there's a number of house churches in Rome, but Paul has a heart for those in Rome. And as he's in Corinth, he writes to them this important, incredible letter that is now a part of the canon of Scripture. 
He doesn't have to write about the issues going on in the church because he had never been there. He, he doesn't correct them or deal with doctrine issues that were wrong like he does some of the other churches. Like for Corinth, 1 Corinthians, as you've read that and studied that, that is a corrective letter. When he's in Philippi and he's writing to them, he's writing to them about false teachers and apostles that were there in the church and were undermining Paul's ministry. We know when he wrote to the church of Colossae, again, he was addressing the legalists that had come into the church. The church of Philippi, he was correcting them, two individuals that were fighting and bringing the vision in the church. And so Paul, not dealing with the issues of the church at Rome, not knowing, uh, you know, what was going on at the church of Rome, Paul is free to write Of course, as I mentioned to you, inspired by the Spirit of God, about complete and detailed theology concerning the gospel and the power of the gospel. Paul, when he finishes writing this letter, he hands it to a woman whose name is Phoebe, who lives in Caesarea, and that's on the coast a few miles from Corinth, and she's going to get on a boat, and she's going to carry this letter to the Christians at Rome. And this letter being preserved for all of eternity. You know this as we read in Isaiah chapter 40 a few weeks ago. That the Lord says the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. And as I consider that it is Paul is writing to them. Desiring to come to them. He says I was hindered from coming to you. And since he isn't going to be able to come to them, oh, he will eventually about three years later, and maybe not in the way that he hoped that he would go. He would go as a prisoner of Rome. He would say that I'm actually a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He would be under house arrest for two years. But at this time, knowing that he's hindered from coming to them, he did what he could do. And I think that's an important truth to consider that we see in the scriptures. You see, maybe perhaps the Lord has put something on your heart. And you feel like that I'm hindered from doing it. I'm not able to come. I'm not able to do that thing that, that Lord, that, that has been on my heart for so long. And, and if you're in that place, trust him. He's going to get you to where you need to go. But don't just do nothing there is something that perhaps you can do. Maybe there's a person that you want to go to or a ministry that he has for you. And, and it's not happening. Do what you can do. And you see, that's what Paul does. I'm not able to come to you at this time, but now I can write this letter to you, a letter that's preserved for us. For that, I'm very grateful for. And you see, David, he did the same thing. David, he was wanting to build the temple, and he told Nathan the prophet, he said that, I want to build the, the Lord a house. And Nathan said, do all that's on your heart. But then Nathan would come back to David, as you know, there in 2 Samuel. And he would say, David, you're not going to build the house of God. I spoke too soon that you're a man of war. Your hands are bloodied. It's going to be your son that's going to build the temple. He's a man of peace. And David didn't pout about it. He didn't just give up and say, well, oh, well, I guess I won't do anything. He did what he could do. And what he did is he would gather gold and silver from the spoils of uh, war that uh, he was involved in and defeating those nations around Israel. He would make friends with the king of Tyre up north, which is today 
Lebanon. And they would make a covenant about, uh, you know, cypress trees and cedar trees that would come to Israel to be used to build the temple. He was one that, as you read First Chronicles, that he got the priests all in order and the Levites and, and got everything ready to go, drew up the plans for the temple so that when he died and his son Solomon became the king, that Solomon had everything ready to go and he would build the temple. Listen, if you feel delayed, if you feel hindered in whatever the Lord has put on your heart, then do what you can do. And maybe you can't go to that person, but maybe you can write them a note. Maybe give them a call. Maybe you're not involved in this ministry like you would or could be or should be, you think. But you can pray. You can pray for that ministry. You can pray for the people that are involved in it. There's always something that we can do. So here is Paul. He, he sits and he writes this letter to the Christians at, at Rome. And we know that as Pastor Chuck, uh, I love that he would call the book of Romans the gospel according to grace. And this letter has been impacted uh, so many over the last 2,000 years for the gospel. You see, it was in the 4th century, in 386, that there was a young man. He was brilliant. He, he was a thinker. He was a scholar. But he was involved in immorality. He was agonizing, agonizing that is, over his sin and rebellion. And he's sitting in a park, and he's just struggling. And all of a sudden, he hears a little girl that is singing, singing, Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. And he thought about that. And he found a scroll of the book of Romans that day. And he opened it up and he read from it. And he actually read from Romans chapter 13 that tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provi uh, provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And the Holy Spirit testified to him just reading that one verse that he needed to surrender his life to Jesus Christ. And he got saved at that moment. And he became a great leader in the early church. His name was Augustine. Martin Luther. Many of you, you've heard of his name, the great reformer. And as you read his story, he was a professor of theology. He was a Catholic monk. He was a priest. And all during his life, he would try to, to earn God's favor and get God's approval. And he, he would struggle spiritually. He was in turmoil in his soul. How can I gain salvation? How can I gain the favor of God? So what he would do is he would fast for days. He would pray all night. He, he would beat his body until it was black and blue. When it was cold, he would sleep outside with no blankets, just uh, in his pajamas. I guess. He was one that, that would, if he had an unpure thought, that he would run through rose bushes. He did all kinds of stuff in agony, trying to get you know, the approval of God, not knowing if he ever could do enough for that. And one day he's at the Vatican, and he's climbing these stairways that is believed that angels brought, and he's on his hands and his knees. His knees and his hands are bloodied from crawling up those stairs, and he's whipping his body, and he realized that there's no way that I can gain God's approval. What can I do? He was in such turmoil internally. And then one day shortly after that, he picked up the book of Romans, and he read in verse 17, For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
And I re realized that, that we are saved, the just shall live not by fasting and not by praying endlessly and beating my body and striving to gain God's approval by my fleshly efforts, that the just shall live by faith. And he would give his life to Jesus Christ. And of course, he would usher in the Protestant Reformation, and Martin Luther would write a commentary on Romans to where a couple hundred years after that, that there was a certain young man. He too was struggling spiritually, considering himself to be a failure in God's eye. He didn't know if he was really saved, didn't really understand salvation. And so he went to a small Bible study that he was invited to, where someone read aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And he ended up truly giving his life to Jesus Christ in London on that night. His name was John Wesley. Along with his brother, Charles Wesley, uh, they were saved and used mightily by the Lord in bringing in a great awakening. This letter has impacted so many lives with the message of the power of the gospel to save. It has been called by Christian leaders as the most profound work in existence, the cathedral of the Christian faith, beyond question the most dynamic letter in all of the New Testament. And as we study this book and the wonderful truths that are given here about justification and sanctification, you say, what are those things? Stick around. We're going to learn it. How we can serve the Lord is what we're going to learn. And walk in the Spirit, His unfailing love for us and His faithfulness to us, that the work of the cross is sufficient and how we can live in His grace and love and that we can truly enjoy our relationship and closeness with the Lord. And I pray that as we go through this book, line upon line and precept upon precept, that our hearts would be truly stirred and we would be revived in our hearts and greatly, greatly refreshed in the Lord. And I know that will take place as we study this book, the book of Romans. So let's begin to read and study this wonderful epistle written 2,000 years ago to the Christians at Rome and to you and to me. We read in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul begins the longest introduction that he writes in all of his letters that we have in the New Testament. It will lead up to the theme of the book, which is in verses 16 and 17. I read verse 17 to you, but verse 16, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And as we read this book, we, we read that Paul here pins it he identifies himself as the one writing this letter. He refers to himself, first of all, as a bondservant, and then secondly, as an apostle. I find that interesting. Paul would refer to himself oftentimes in his epistles, an epistle's just a letter, uh, as a bondservant. He never forgot that he was a servant first, and he was a wonderful example of a servant. He lived the, the words of our Lord that said, whoever desires to be the greatest in the kingdom must be the servant of all. And in this opening salutation, he says that I'm a bondservant. Doulos in the Greek, 
And as you read the Old Testament specifically, as you read Exodus chapter 21, a bondservant was one that was willing to be a slave out of devotion for his or her master. And as you read that chapter, again, for you note takers, Exodus chapter 21, in Israel, according to the law, a slave was only required to serve for six years, and then in the seventh year, they were to be set free, unless at the end of six years... That that slave said, I like my master. I like serving him. He treats me good. And I want to and I choose to serve him for life. I want to be a bond servant. And what they would do is take that slave. They would take him to the judges of the city. The judges would interview him to make sure that he's making that decision freely. He's not being threatened. He's not being intimidated by the master. But he freely wants to continue to serve his master. Then what they would do is they would take a nail. They would take an owl. They would put his right earlobe against the doorpost. And they would drive that nail through his ear, piercing his ear. And then put an earring in it, signifying that he was a slave by choice. I will be a bondservant to my master for life. And my hope and prayer for you and for me, that that would be our heart's desire, that we would want to be bondservants for Jesus Christ. To say that I choose to serve him all of my days and what he tells me to do, to serve him daily and to serve him always. Lord, my life is not my own. And I want to do what you declare for me to do through your word and leading me by your spirit. The world's philosophy in our culture says to you and to me this, that you are to live for yourself and be free and do what you want to do. Be your own man. Be your own woman. Be the master of your fate. Do what you want to do. And those who live in that way and have that philosophy in their life, they end up not being free at all. They are the ones that are in bondage. They are the ones that end up being burdened by the world in slavery to the world's pleasures and philosophies. They're discouraged. And they're down. They feel hopeless. Wondering what life is all about. Is this all there is to life? And I think that many of us, that we are seeing the people around us that we care for and that we love, that are more defeated than ever before, depressed and in bondage because they do not know what we know and have experienced. What Paul declares in the opening of this letter, what John and Peter and others would declare, that we have chosen to be bondservants of Jesus Christ. And wise is the one who declares that in their hearts, to give yourselves fully to the Lord, because he takes excellent care of those who are committed to him. Haven't you found that out to be true? Our lives are filled with real purpose and meaning in our hearts. We have peace and joy. And you might remember that in Isaiah chapter 48, we read a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, that as we walk with the Lord, that we will have peace that flows like a river. But the chapter goes on to say that there is no peace for those who have rejected the Lord. And that is why we see so many that are around us, that are linked to us in our lives, that perhaps live with us, family members, or live next to us, our neighbors, 
to work alongside of us in our jobs and businesses. And again, we care for them and we love them. But we see that there's an emptiness in their hearts and they have found themselves enslaved to the world, a sense of hopelessness, confusion. Because the reality is this, that everyone will serve something or someone. So the question for all of us here this morning, listening to this message, is who are you serving? And as we freely say that, Lord, I serve you, that I desire to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, his love is put into us. We have new hearts. We have real purpose and peace and joy because he is so good to us. He saves us and forgives us. So Paul's saying, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. So he declares himself as, as being a bondservant, but also that he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking of his apostolic authority. When he would write to the church at Corinth, he would write, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. In other words, he wasn't appointed by man. He wasn't self-appointed. He didn't make it up. He was called by God, by Jesus Christ, separated for the gospel. And as most of you know, the word apostle means one sent out. I am called by God to be a bond slave and to be sent out. He ministered with that apostolic authority, separated for the gospel of God. You see, about 20 years before Paul the apostle penned this epistle to the Romans, he was known, of course, as Saul before his conversion. Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as we know. He wrote to the church of Philippi. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And, and I was one that excelled beyond my contemporaries concerning Judaism. He was blameless concerning the law. The book of Acts tells us that in chapter 8 that it was Saul that began to persecute the Christians there in Jerusalem very heavily. He would have them arrested, have them thrown in prison, to be put in chains, to even have them be put to death. Paul was waging war against the church. He was breathing out threats, as Acts chapter 8 says, causing havoc on the church. And that word havoc literally means a wild animal that's going for the kill. It was like a shark that smelled blood. And he was pulling Christians out of their homes. And that's why at that time that the Christians in Jerusalem under that heavy persecution under Saul, that they would begin to spread out to Judea and Samaria and to the, uh, the other parts of the Roman Empire. And Paul would write about that time before his conversion in the New Testament that I was a waster of the church. I was an insolent man. I was a violent man. And on his way to Damascus, chapter 9, as most of you know, the Lord appeared to him, spoke to him, and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goat. And Paul was knocked down and blinded, and Paul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Some 20 years before he writes this letter to the Christians at Rome, he had made a commitment to Jesus. He came to faith in Jesus. His life radically changed because of Jesus. And at that point, he would be separated and dedicated unto the gospel, the good news, for all of his life until the time, about 10 years after this time he's writing this letter, that Caesar Nero gives the orders for him to be executed in the city of Rome. 
Paul was faithful. He was dedicated to giving the gospel. Lord, what would you have me to do? He knew that he was separated for the gospel of God. He was committed to proclaiming the gospel. He left everything behind at that point on the road to Damascus to serve Jesus Christ. In the book of Philippians, he would write, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I think what made Paul so committed to his ministry? I mean, on his first missionary journey, he was, he was uh, stoned and left for dead. And he got up and he went back into the city, Lystra. On his second missionary journey in Philippi, he was beaten of rods and thrown in prison. The city of Ephesus rioted against him. And as he's writing 2 Corinthians after he left Ephesus on that third missionary journey, he writes to them and he says, you know how when we came out of Asia that we were pressed beyond measure. We are even despaired of life. But the God who is the God of all comfort comforted us. And he will comfort us in all of our tribulations. And he would go on to say to the Corinthians in that second letter that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that motivates us, motivates me. I want to encourage you again this morning. Because I see people today, they can get excited about the Lord, taking in the word, serving him, and they will do it for short seasons or in spurts. And I think what made Paul so separated, dedicated to service, to the gospel, to the Lord, and the key is this. He had a love for the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. Not with theology. He was a great theologian. Not with religion. Not with self-help programs. Not with philosophy. He had an encounter with the risen Lord. And it was personal and it was real. And he had a love for the Lord. And the gospel was real for him. And at the end of his life, he would write, I know whom I have believed. If you're here this morning, just as there were those in the first service, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news is this, that Jesus came to die for your sins because the greatest need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin. And Jesus, because of his love for you, went to that cross to die for you. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished, that I've done the work, I've paid the price. He was put into a tomb and he rose again on the third day and he made provision for you to be forgiven because all of us have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And as we come to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, the good news, it is forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner. And forgiveness is now provided through the cross of Jesus Christ. And as he rose from the grave, he proved that he's the son of God. He is alive at the right hand of the father. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And what makes the gospel so unique? It is not based on what you have to do. It is based on what he did on Calvary's cross. And as you come to the gospel and to the cross, he will forgive you. You'll have the hope of eternal life. He'll give you a new heart. And you'll come to the family of God and have a relationship with the Father. And we're going to give you opportunity to do that. It's the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It has eternal consequences. 
But I also, as I know a vast majority of those who are here listening, even on live stream, that you consider yourself saved. You are saved. Maybe you grew up as a Christian, in a Christian family. Maybe you grew up in the church, but right now you feel so distant from the Lord and the Lord doesn't feel very real to you and the gospel doesn't feel very real to you. Listen, please, if you're zoning out or if you're in a coffee shop and you're talking, please listen to this. Because I don't ask you to do very much. I don't ask a lot from you, but if you're one that in the honesty of your heart, you're saying, I don't know where my faith is. I don't know if the Lord is real to me. I don't know if this gospel is real to me. You grew up in the church. You've gone to church. You grew up in a Christian family. That, that one time you were excited about the Lord, but not anymore. In the honesty of your heart, will you go to him? Just get away for a few minutes. And will you say to him, that, Lord, if you are real and if you are who you claim to be as declared in the word of God, will you make yourself real to me? And will you make this gospel real to me once again? And I promise you that he will do that. That he will show up and he'll touch your heart in a deep way. And you begin to read, read the Gospel of John, and you pray that, Lord, show yourself to be real to me, and he's going to honor that prayer in the honesty and sincerity of your heart as you go to him. And Lord, the Gospel being real to me. And Paul, it was real to him. He was committed to the Lord and to the Gospel that had the power to save him. It's the same power to save you and me. They give us new hearts because it's real. He is real and personal. And I have fellowship and closeness with him. I get to walk with him and trust and rest in his love. And that's why Jesus would say on that hillside that you come to me, all of you, not some of you or most of you, come to me, all of you. It's an invitation to anyone who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. And if you don't come to Jesus, you're going to be restless. And feel hopeless. For all the days of your life until you come to him. He says, come and drink of me, of the living waters. Even as we read from Isaiah that he opens up here in chapter 55, anyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he says, come, why do you spend money for that bread uh, that does not satisfy? The water of the world is going to leave you thirsty. The bread of the world is going to leave you hungry. And Jesus said, come, come eat of me. Come freely to me. The bread of life and you'll never hunger again. Separated into the gospel, which means I have a relationship and true with the true and living God that loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me and provide forgiveness and to be saved and have the hope of heaven and have a relationship with him. And that's why Paul writes later in this chapter that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation. And that's what we're going to learn as we go through this book, the book of Romans. The gospel has the power to save, to give me a new heart. 
to free me from the penalty and the power of sin as God dwells now in my heart. So wonder the gospel is called good news. Listen, it's not good advice. It's good news. It's not just philosophical. It's not just to make us religious. But with the power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power that works in us. And then we get to be sent out ones, dedicated and separated for the gospel of God to usher the good news to this world that desperately, desperately needs to hear it. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for, even though we only got through one verse, oh, Lord, we thank you. There's so much that is here, and we look forward to what we continue to study. Lord, I do want to pray this morning, first of all, if there's anyone here, you're here, and maybe you think you're a Christian because you are trying to be a good person or you listen to a Bible study or you belong to a church, but have you come to the gospel? Have you come to Jesus Christ personally and recognize your need to be forgiven? Recognize that he's the son of God who died for you and rose again and he's provided forgiveness to come as you are asking for forgiveness and for him to sit upon the throne of your heart and your life as Lord. Today is the day of salvation, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that is you, will you pray this prayer sincerely in your heart right now? That Jesus, I come to you, and I hear the gospel, the good news. And I come to you as a sinner, just as I am, and I ask that you would forgive me. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. And you said, it is finished. So forgive me, Lord. And I come in faith, believing that you're the Son of God who rose from the grave as well. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me and I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God and help me to live the gospel and the power to free me from the things that have me in bondage. I thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And listen, while we're being respectful, if you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. But what I want you to do, and I can't see everybody, you know, live stream, obviously. If you're listening on a live stream, you made a decision, call us during the week. If you're out in the coffee shop, I want you to do this, or in the sanctuary. If you prayed that prayer, will you put your hand up? Anybody at all coming to Christ that I can see here, to Jesus, to the gospel, anybody at all, I'm not going to prolong it. Okay, Lord, maybe there's some that I don't see. But Lord, I do pray for anyone who's made a decision for you, that you would fill them with your love and Lord, with your joy. And I thank you for the work that you've done. And Lord, for us, I pray for those who are here today and thinking, I feel distant from the Lord. The gospel isn't real to me. That right now, right now, that you would say, Lord, please declare yourself to me and declare the gospel to me 
to make it real and personal and powerful and meaningful in my life. Show yourself to me, Lord. Father, I pray that you would do that, that we would go home continuing with you and in the days ahead. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. Thank you for the work that you've done in this place and want to continue to do as we have another service. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?